your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Lefty comes set. Here's the 2-2 pitch to Matthews. Matthews hits one well to left, backing up his aid. He's to the wall, and it is off the top of the wall. One run scores. Here comes Everett to score. Bouldering around a third is Banjoff. And for the second time this season, Bryce Matthews has delivered a bases-clearing double. This one gives Nebraska a 7-6 lead. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. And thank you. Welcome. Tuesday night, Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. Glad you've chosen to spend a little bit of time with us tonight. Full three hours coming your way, including hour number two, which is our volleyball show. The head coach, John Cook, John Bader, will steer you through 60 minutes of volleyball chatter. The Huskers now know their seed in the NCAA tournament. They know who they will their path looks like so a lot to talk about in that volleyball show in hour number two so get your comments questions ready for the head volleyball coach coming up in hour number two we uh, as we left the air last night it was pretty obvious that the baylor bears were on their way to a national championship and boy were they impressive they they took out previously undefeated gonzaga 86 to 70 it was a uh, impressive performance. I thought the guard play for Bader was outstanding. They were making, they were making their shots. They were all over the place defensively. Uh, they they really just took it to a Gonzaga team that, at least for the first eight to ten minutes of this game, Ben, I don't think knew what hit them. I think Gonzaga settled in a little bit and kind of at least looked competitive the rest of the way. But this thing really wasn't in doubt. This is this is an incredible win by a program in Bader that. Shoot, that thing almost got unplugged about two decades ago with massive scandals. Uh, and, and then Scott Drew comes in, and they have been one of the premier programs in college basketball over the last 10 years, really. And now they have a national championship banner to hang in the Farrell Center down in Waco. Yeah, man, what an effort, right? I mean, they sure they sure performed at an extremely high level. And, uh, you know, they – I was thinking about this, you know, as the game unfolded. They've they've built their teams like that for a while, right? I mean, you think back to the Epke Udo days, Lasterius Dunn days. I mean, they they've had players that that had similar builds to that for a long time, and um, you know, it's finally paying off for for them uh, with a trophy. And man, were they? You're you're absolutely right. I mean, Gonzaga was was shook. They were absolutely shell shocked at what what type of presence the Baylor Bears had um, in that basketball game to start. And and they couldn't match it. They couldn't match the intensity on either end of the floor. And you saw a beat down in the first half because of it. So absolutely deserving uh, of the title. And, you know, they, they played, they played terrific basketball and, and, and well-deserved that, that, that is an extremely athletic team, well-coached team. And, you know, committed to playing basketball on both ends of the floor, which helped them help win them a national championship. It, it, it was the matchup we all wanted to see. I think we kind of felt like all year those were the two best teams in college basketball. And at some points in time, I thought Illinois was in that same ilk. But this was a great matchup. And, and then it turned out to be kind of a downer in the way that it was really lopsided in the championship game. I think after the semifinal, the thrill of the UCLA-Gonzaga finish, we thought we're going to be headed for 
an equally impressive type of game on Monday night. It didn't live up to that, but that's a lot of credit just goes to Bader, how impressive they were, how determined they were. They took the fight to Gonzaga and got them on their heels early, and the Zags just could not recover from that. Not on that night. They weren't going to beat Baylor last night. That was a, a Baylor championship night. And this is really remarkable. Baylor becomes only the second team from the state of Texas to win a national championship. And you think about all the programs that are in that giant state that the only other one is UTEP, who won that game in the late 60s, beating Kentucky, uh, Glory Road, the, the movie, maybe Tim hasn't seen it, but a lot of us have seen Glory Road. It's a great movie. About, at that point, they were called Texas Western, not, not Texas El Paso or UTEP is what they're known now. But nobody in that state, not the Longhorns, not the Houston Cougars who had great teams, Nobody else in that state's been able to win a, a basketball championship until Baylor did it last night. That was really remarkable that, 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 that has popped out. So Baylor is the champs. They cut the nets down. Uh, they're the kings of college basketball. And, you know, as soon as that – I mean, they hadn't even played one shiny moment yet, Ben, and you got people that are already putting out their way-too-early for, forecast for next year. And I, I was anxious to see some of these because – in my mind, I'm like, there's no way the Big Ten's going to be as good next year as this year, right? There's just no way. And yet, I'm going off Gary Parrish's CBS.com, uh, CBSSports.com's preseason top 25. He's got six Big Ten teams in that. He's got Ohio State at six, Michigan at eight, Purdue at nine, Maryland at 13, Mich- Michigan State at 18, and Illinois at 25. So, I mean... And these guys studied a lot more intent than I do, but man, that that looks like another load for the league going into twenty one slash twenty two in in twelve months from now. Crazy. I mean, it's hard to just discredit and discount everything that this conference did this year. I know that they had an absolutely awful tournament, but I don't think that you can just hammer a conference their performance, you know, in in a tournament and and rip apart. Everything that they did, you know, in, in the in the regular season. So, I mean, it doesn't doesn't really shock me. I, I'll need to wait and see how the roster structure kind of uh, shape shapes out with the transfer portal. Who who takes advantage of that extra year? All that type of stuff uh, before I I can figure it out. But yeah, it it always it's always crazy to me how fast they get that stuff out. Yeah, Io DeSumo did did declare for the draft today. That's no big surprise. So Illinois knows they're going to lose him. Kofi Coburn has not yet made a decision. We were talking to some of the Illinois folks while we were back there for baseball over the weekend, and they're they're kind of thinking it's fifty fifty on Kofi Coburn to come back. I'm like, are you kidding me? Come on, he's got to he's got to go. Get that big guy out of the league. He's really really talented. Some news in Husker basketball today. The announcement. Of a new assistant coach joining the staff of Coach Hoiberg, Nate Lenzer, now a part officially a part of the staff, and very happy to be joined now by Coach Lenzer. Coach, first of all, thanks for joining us, and I know this is a, a busy time for you and your family, but let me be the first of many or one of many to welcome you and your family to Lincoln. We're glad to have you. Well, I'm excited to be here, Ben, and and uh, feels good to be a Husker. Let's let's talk about uh, how this happened and really when this was on your radar and um, you know how Coach Hoiberg approached you um, and, and why you thought this might this might be a good fit for you. You know, there, there's a there's a few parts to all of it. Uh, obviously, 
I mean, I worked for for six years with with Fred in the past. I worked with him for two years at Iowa State, and then four years with the Bulls. So obviously, his and I relationship uh, on a coaching level and, and a personal level was something that you know is is never going to go away. So we've been in contact even in my time when I stayed with the Bulls after uh, after he left, and and I've followed um, Nebraska in his two seasons here as well. Uh, Obviously, um, this year I've, I've watched more of Nebraska basketball because I've had a little bit more time, and uh, and he and I have, have kept our relationship um, through time. I think so. That would be the the, the first part of it. Um, obviously, I, I think we both knew if there was ever a situation where where he had an opening on his staff um, that we would both be interested in that, and, and the dominoes had all kind of fallen from there. I think. What's what's neat too about the story, at least from a personal standpoint, is um, you know I grew up in Iowa in the old Big Eight days, so um, I ultimately ended up going to Iowa State. But uh, I, my my oldest sister actually lived in Lincoln uh, from around '94 to, to 2005, and and I would actually come to Lincoln for a week or so at a time when I was in high school and even in college. So uh, I've always appreciated and had an affinity towards. Lincoln, um, even going back to uh, uh, a name that I think a lot of Husker people or, or fans will know is Trev Alberts. Trev Alberts actually went to my high school, um, oh, wow. and so and he, and he graduated with my brother. So um, he's he's uh, eight years older than me. So you know you're in your junior high to high school. I mean, watching what the what the Huskers were doing, and, and specifically watching Trev. Um, what he did on the football field, I think, um, you know, I, I applied to three schools. I can tell you this. I applied to Iowa State. I applied to Central College, which is a Division three. It was going to maybe play football there. And then uh, the other uh, school I applied to was Nebraska. So if I wasn't going to go to Iowa State, I was actually going to go to Nebraska. So on a personal side note, it's, it's, um, it's a place that I've, I've always wondered if I – would be able to be here and and as fate would have it here's where we sit that's amazing i mean i guess i guess coach a good a good place to start and 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 a a really cool thing that that i've come to learn about fred and um the guys that you're going to be working with outside of of armand he's had prior engagements with with all of you and we just found out a little while ago a couple months ago month ago maybe that that coach lutz um was going to look for a, a coaching position elsewhere because of um, his limitations here in Lincoln, and we really did en- enjoy our time with Coach Lutz, and I know you you know Coach Lutz very well too. But um, to to bring, keep bringing guys in past with Coach Abdul Massey and yourself, and, and even Doc Sadler, uh, who who you had worked with previously, just what what's it feel like for you to already have such a good connection with the other guys that you're going to be working with here in Lincoln? Well, I think those connections are obvious, and and the thing to me that that is made this transition even easier is like it it goes past that too i've I've worked with all those people i've been in the trenches with those people but then i can take it another step and you know my wife jackie has a relationship with carol fred's wife and with kelly matt's wife so there's like there's a comfort level in that in that family environment too which look as coaches we're competitive we have a job to do Uh, it's very very important um for, for us to be the best in a very competitive field. But 
my family is important to me and, uh, and, and my wife, Jackie, and I have three young girls. I have a one, three and five year old. And just to know that there's a security or a comfort level for my wife and for my family coming to this situation too, it just, it just, it just feels like a very uh, neat situation for us. Absolutely. Nate Lenzer, new assistant basketball coach at Nebraska with us here on Sports Nightly. I'm Ben McLaughlin. Coach, we'll learn this a little bit more when the season gets closer and, you know, once we, um, you know, around the team a little bit more. But how would you describe your coaching style? What, what, what are you going to bring to the table to the team this year that, um, you know, Coach Hoiberg feel like you're going to be an asset? And I think, you know, the, the players, too. What, what are they going to come to know and learn about you as a coach? Well, Fred and I obviously have been together for six years we've we've been together at iowa state and the bulls so the the comfort level that i have with him is already i mean it's it's a seamless transition so i i understand how he works how he thinks i think i'm able to uh to fill in some gaps for him and uh and i know his terminology i know his system i know all those things so that's that's a seamless transition right there I believe, I mean, in relationships with players, uh, with your staff, I just think first and foremost, the relationships you, you build with players, that leads to trust. And then from there, the player development piece, which I, I'm i a big proponent of, I just think starts to evolve from there. Um, uh, my mom was a teacher. Uh, I went to school to be a teacher. I believe in teaching. Um, and I think coaches, the, the best ones are, are – are, are really good teachers and in order to be a teacher you you need to know who your students are you need to be able to relate to them and you need to try to uh, inspire them to be the best uh, version of themselves and and that's kind of my philosophy in general when it comes to that i think x's and o's are on the court um i would like to think that i, I i'm well-rounded uh i've coached 19 years i've coached um eight in college and uh my first stint in 2004 to 2010 at the University of Southern Mississippi, I worked for a guy, Larry Eustachie, who was an unbelievable defense and rebounding um, coach. And then obviously my time um, with Fred, I've been one of the, with one of the better offensive minds. So I'd like to think that I, I can provide a well-rounded look. I have had some head coaching experience, so I can draw on those situations. I think that's important. Um, Sometimes as, as an assistant, um, giving the wrong suggestions can lead people astray. You know, it's got to be about, you know, decisions and helping the coach make the best decisions possible. And I think having that, that mindset will hopefully lead to be an asset uh, for Fred and for the program. Coach, you mentioned your relationship with players in the past and, um, you know, th that being a, a big thing for you. What have you come to learn about this team, about the guys that you're going to be coaching? And you, you said you had some time to kind of learn about uh, the program and, and, and what Nebraska did on the floor last year. And, of course, got a new batch of recruits coming in this year. What, what, do you, what have you come to learn about these guys and, and the ones that, that you know, you're going to be on the floor learn, uh, teaching? Well, I'm, I'm first and foremost, I'm excited. They're uh, the, the the group of six that we that I've worked with in the uh, week or so that I've been here. Um, I've already been able to, to kind of hit the ground running with them with some off season workouts, and and I couldn't be more pleased just with their um, their care factor, their 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 desire uh, to get better. Um, 
I think the work ethics there. I think I think um, I think the, that we have a lot of a good mix of talent uh, and and now some experience. I think the thing with last year was it you know with the with the circumstances going on in our in our in our world in our country and with only really two players returning from the, the year before that 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 was a tough tough uh, sledding to do. And what's neat about this is you've already got six guys seven. Um, potentially, and and that that now have a feel for the system. And uh, what I've tried to do, and, and and have tried to help Fred with, is you know the not only the what, but the why, why we're doing things, and and to be able to really slow down and teach with these guys and see the receptiveness that they've had has just been a, a lot of fun for me. Coach, it's really cool to see coaching paths and how things end up coming full circle. But for you, spending time at, at, at the highest level of basketball in the NBA and with some really good players at the Bulls with Zach Levine and Archie Diacono and the list goes on of players that you've had your hands on in Chicago, what, what is it about that experience that, that you were grateful for to get to experience the game at the highest level and you know, maybe make you a more rounded coach? The thing that I at least try to pride myself in is no matter, and, I, and I've been a high school coach. I've now been fortunate enough to be a college and, and to your point, a, a professional coach. You know, no matter the level that I'm at, though, I, I try to pride myself on staying in the moment uh, and, and treating those those players, no matter what their accolades are, whether they're an all-star, a Hall of Fame player, an MVP like Derrick Rose, down to the first point guard that I coached at NU high and Cedar falls. Like the biggest thing is if, if you, if you truly, you know, believe in that person and you truly try to um, teach them with the, uh, the urgency that I think is necessary. um, then ultimately it doesn't matter that, that the player will buy in and that the player will try to reach those heights. And I think that's what the teaching and coaching is about. So what was neat for me, I think, is just that um, it didn't matter. It, it translated, you know, treating treating people the right way, working hard, being being diligent, showing up day to day, showing professional work habits. Didn't matter if you were working with, you know, a sixth grader, all the way up to a, a twenty or thirty million dollar player. Ultimately, it comes down to: Do you know what you're talking about? And and if if that person sees results and they and they believe in you and they trust that you have their best interests, then then it all translates. And uh, I think that's the biggest thing I'd take away from that that time is you know it didn't matter that I didn't play past high school. It didn't matter that I didn't have a championship. If you can provide value to to people and they 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 ultimately see that and uh and they're going to listen a lot better yeah very well said and coach I, I i can't help but ask you know you're you're about to jump into a league that had nine bids and um a one seed a couple two seeds this, this is gonna be a tough league what what excites you about getting a coach in the big 10 conference well i've watched a lot this year uh, i've obviously lived in big 10 country my whole life um so, so I'm I have familiarity to it, but not not something that I've experienced per se. I think ultimately, when it comes to that, I mean, there's a certain level of respect for for all the opponents, no matter their level. But like, at the end of the day, um, 
I can't get too caught up in in what <laughs> what's going on at Michigan State or what's going on at Ohio State or whatever. My thing is, I'm at Nebraska, and I'm going to pour into this team and this situation and make the most of that and be able to look myself in the mirror each and every day, knowing that I that I've given my my best for that, and then. I think from there, that's where, you know, it's cliche-ish, but you let the chips fall where they may. I think when you get worried about what's going on outside of your control, I think it's easy to get off track. So my biggest thing is when we cross the line and we uh, and it's time to get to work, we get to work. And and then and we make these people, these, these student-athletes better, better humans and hopefully better dads husbands brothers sons all of that throughout there but but really try to maximize what our abilities are you bet well uh we'll save the most important question for last so here you're a big sports guy right i mean i think i believe correct me if i'm wrong you were part of the last iowa state baseball team and you you play all kinds of sports growing up where do your allegiances lie and who are your uh rooting interests when uh you know you got the sweatpants on and you're on the couch a great question. I played baseball, basketball, football, golf in high school. Someone always, always I get asked a lot, what's your favorite sport? And obviously basketball uh, is, is providing for the family, but I always used to say whatever season it is, my favorite sport. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's, that's probably still a constant. You know, the one thing that I still love watching baseball, uh, I still love watching football especially because both of them just kind of allow me to be a fan and mm-hmm. um when it comes to basketball i kind of get wired just to <laughs> to to really focus on 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 my craft and my profession but my dad is from right outside of uh, Moline, illinois so and when you grow up in iowa it's a little bit of you can pick yep. wherever so I, I I definitely grew up a Bears fan. I definitely grew up a Cubs fan. I'm a little frustrated with the Bulls right now. I would have said the Bulls <laughs> otherwise. So, uh, but those two specifically, uh, I think, are the two that I probably are the, are the am the most passionate about. Or when it comes to to your point, just sitting on the couch and and hopefully getting control of the TV because when you get a one, <laughs> oh, three, yeah. and five year old, as you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of wrestling for for attention when it comes to to the television you and uh coach abdul massey i'm sure you have your fair share of run-ins being a big mets guy you know at some point before the uh before the end of the season's over so that, that'll be that'll be quite the the interest of, of people unfold you got a master's pick Who, who's gonna win the masters this week i i don't know i really i <laughs> being from iowa i always root for zach johnson so there you go. I would probably we'll, we'll go there. So I've always been a big Tiger Woods fan, and that's not happening obviously this weekend. So we'll go with Zach Johnson. Perfect. Awesome, Coach. Thanks so much for uh, giving us a few minutes, letting us a peek inside your brain a little bit. Uh, again, welcome to Lincoln. We we're so happy to have you and your family, and hope uh, the transition for them goes well. I know that's a really difficult thing for a family, and we welcome you and uh, and your family full of beautiful girls here to Lincoln. Can't wait to meet you when this is all over. Thank you so much. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Ben. And to all the uh, Husker fans, go Big Red. This is the Nebraska Volleyball Radio Show, right here on the Husker Sports Network. Here comes the serve. That one's in. Pass made by Kaylee. The slide stiffens. Kaboom! Hoo-hoo! Wow! That's waking babies all over greater Ann Arbor. 23-19 Big Red with Husker head volleyball coach John Cook. And now Michigan feeds left page. Jones blocked! Kayla Caffey, Lexi's son. Wow! 
22-13 and the Huskers. Eight blocks in this match. The Nebraska Radio Volleyball Show is presented by Sarter Heyman Jewelers, your Husker Jewelry Headquarters. Sarter Heyman, the official jeweler of Husker Athletics at SarterHeyman.com. Now here's your host of the Nebraska Volleyball Show, John Baylor. Greetings, hello Nebraska. Happy Tuesday evening. It's tournament time. Springtime is now tournament time for volleyball. This is your Nebraska Volleyball Show. 800 Five, hold everything. Let's get the numbers correct here. 531-500-4686. 531-500-4686. Tim, is that a toll-free number? Or they're going to charge the money to call us. That's toll-free, right? It's free? Tim's shaking his head. All right. I'm out in this production studio. I'm in a new location. And I just get to look over and knowing glances give me answers i'm john baylor your host soon to be joined by the head coach of nebraska volleyball tournament time we will examine these brackets but tim miles off the san jose state wow one less golfer in the capital city tim miles's biggest wins i think he beat michigan state on the road not just once i think he did it twice he yes. beat tom Izzo twice in East Lansing, everyone pull over and just give that a moment's thought. Tim Miles beat Michigan State twice on the road. Coach, you'll be missed. Great job. And uh, just a great personality. Put a lot of smiles on a lot of faces. But uh, I will never forget Beats Michigan State, not once, but twice on the road. San Jose's got a good one. And I got someone who should be paying half of his San Jose State, San Jose State salary, Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo should be paying half of his salary because he won't have to face Tim Miles in the same conference anymore. How did Nebraska volleyball fare in the brackets? Well, the Huskers face a gauntlet of Texas teams. Texas State is opponent number one. They're 30-8, and eight, accomplishing what no volleyball team historically has done since the 1970s, play 38 matches in a single regular season. Their most notable victory is quite noteworthy. Baylor, vanquished by Texas State. We'll have their nickname by, by first serve. Just a couple weeks ago, probably sneaked Texas State into the tournament with that win. And uh, so they're going to be formidable. Then the winner probably gets Baylor and Yosiana Presley, last year's ABCA National Player of the Year. So the tournament selection committee didn't do Nebraska any favors by giving the Huskers Texas State in the first round and then Baylor in the second round. Then the winner of that battle will get either probably now Penn State or Texas. This is not exactly a group of teams or a regional for the faint of heart. You have three examples of volleyball royalty in Nebraska, Penn State, and Texas. Between them, Nebraska five championships, Penn State seven championships, Texas two championships without a calculator, 16 titles between those three programs. Now, granted, those former title teams are not currently playing it's the 2021 version but uh, 
This is a rugged road for Nebraska volleyball. Oh, and the winner of the regional final gets Wisconsin. So you don't just get a little bit of an easier national semi. No, you get Wisconsin, and then you get to the championship match. Meanwhile, Nebraska, uh, former opponent Minnesota, which the Huskers, I recall, swept three sets to zero. A Minnesota team that's 15-2, and two, Nebraska's 14-2. and two. Minnesota will play Louisville or Washington on the other side of the bracket after playing Utah. So Minnesota gets Utah and then Louisville or Washington. Meanwhile, Nebraska gets Baylor, which was in the Final Four a year ago, and then either Penn State or Texas. Then Purdue, which is 14-6. and six. Nebraska's 14-2. and two. Purdue's 14-6. and six. They get Oregon and then Kentucky. So the Huskers get Baylor and then either Penn State or Texas. Purdue, with a worse record, gets Oregon and then either Washington State or Kentucky. Probably Kentucky. But to sell the narrative of Huskers as victim within the volleyball world is a difficult sale because the rest of the country, at least volleyball country, is probably quite tired of hearing about Nebraska and its advantages, and so is quite happy to see Nebraska with this road to a Final Four. But this is this is a rugged path. If you'd like to chime in and give us your thoughts, it's 531-500-4686. 531-500-4686. Let's bring in the head coach of Nebraska Volleyball, 14-2, and two, your number five seed in the tournament. Coach John Cook. Coach, good evening. Well, thanks, JB. Good evening to you. <clears throat> Happy April. How's the month been going for you? Well, I'm glad we got the phone number to call in right, so that was good. That's thir- third time's a charm on that. But uh, my assistant coaches have been playing a lot of golf last week, so they're happy, and team's training hard this week, and we're excited to go to Omaha next week. Coach, regarding the faulty phone number, there's only one person to blame. I am that person. I, I, will, get, I will get it right next time. Yeah, you would have failed the SAT test on this one. <laughs> I love your diagnostic test references every week. They're, they're appreciated, at least by the host. Hey, what about your thoughts on Tim Miles off to San Jose State? What are some of your fondest Tim Miles memories? Mine, I'll give you one, beat Tom Izzo at Michigan State twice. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yep. Um, I think, you know, I thought he had a great gig going with Fox Sports and doing the basketball stuff, but, you know, coaches miss coaching, and this is a way for him to get back in. He's got nowhere to go up but up with San Jose State. So it'd be fun to watch him, him go there and um, move to California. <clears throat> Put a lot of smiles on a lot of faces. Every crowd I've been in when he's been around, people are smiling, and that says a yeah. lot about somebody. I wish him only the best, and I expect he's going to do well over there. And I think Tom Izzo should be paying part of his salary. Yep. <laughs> All I know is there's only one guy I know that has more energy than Tim yeah. Miles. That's that's my assistant coach, Jalen. Jalen, if you if we could get Jalen Ray's on a conveyor belt, he could power North Lincoln. <laughs> guy is rolling. You are you are right on on that, man. <laughs> He's fired up. If you ever low energy, just try to get in the same room with Jalen. He'll fire you yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. So he's probably pretty positive about the brackets. Yeah, I think he. I think he is. <clears throat> he's probably now consuming his ten thousand calories. <laughs> Guy can eat like I've never seen. Really? So, but Jalen's a big eater too. Good for him. Oh, oh my gosh! Yeah, 
<clears throat> yeah, he puts you away, JB. That's saying something. That's saying yeah. something. I, I love the buffets because the players don't eat much, and Jalen and I can just take you know just, just take care of everything that's left over. Yep, yep. Uh, but anyway, high energy practice today. Everybody's fired up, so it was fun. So was it a, a kind of a week of rest last week? Yeah, we really uh, just kind of did a lot of maintenance stuff. We only practiced twice last week. But we did. We worked out every day. We just did some variety to keep them keep their bodies activated, and and then uh, we're hitting it hard this week. So uh, I think the players are excited. I think the break was really good for them. Um, and uh, you know now now we have you know, when you know when you get a match canceled, it's just like there's no motivation. <laughs> You know, and then you're looking. Oh, you're saying, "Oh, yeah, we're going to the NCAA tournament, maybe in you know three and a half weeks." So, uh, you know, not a lot of motivation there either, especially with this generation who you know they're focused on the next uh, sixty seconds on Instagram. So, um, <clears throat> so anyway, the break was good, and and now now we have a a date we're shooting for. We we have an. A, Potentially two opponents we're going to get to play, and so I now I think there's a bigger sense of urgency, and they're they're working really hard. My guess is it's just especially difficult to sustain their energy and focus with all of these stops. I mean, it's tough enough to keep them going over the three months every fall, but to, to gear them up and then oh the match is canceled and and you know you, 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 to get them focused early in the week when it's not even clear the the matches are not going to happen. Now you've got this nearly three week break. You don't play again until April 15. I mean, this is probably tapping into your. Your skills and motivating that uh, you know beyond you know, beyond what you've had to do in years past. Yeah, it's definitely a different uh, coaching, you know, uh, path that uh, we normally go on this time of year. You know, usually you're you just finished, you know, a great Big Ten weekend, the last Big Ten weekend of the year. Usually yeah. you're we're playing to get in, or somebody's playing to get in. I mean, there's usually really big matches on that weekend, and uh, or you or playing for first place in the conference and anyway we didn't we had nothing last week except i said jalen and tyler were happy because they got to play a lot of golf and the yep. weather was warm so that was a big positive um but yeah you're right it's hard to keep it going and i it just makes me really miss uh and, and looking forward to a normal fall season if we can have one where we're grinding every week you know and 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 uh You've got all these great opponents lined up and, and uh, grinding. And then at this point, you turn around and get a couple of days of repair and you're going to the NCAA tournament. So I just miss that grind and that routine. I, I can't stand these breaks. And, you know, I, I think our players, they handle it really well considering everything. The coach, you strike me as someone who loves training. Does anyone like training in anything, especially volleyball, as much as you do? Well, I don't know if anybody likes it more than I do. I love it, uh, but I think we have some players that love to train. You know, mm-hmm. I've got I've got players. I got to They want to come in early, and I tell them no, just because you got to pace them. I don't want them to burn themselves out or overdo it. Uh, but I, my favorite part of everything is just practice and training and creating ways to make them better and creating fun drills. And um, so I, we really enjoy that. Here's Bud and Lincoln. Bud, welcome. You're on the Nebraska Volleyball Show with the head coach, John Cook. Hi, Bud. Yeah. Um, coach, um, just as a question, 
as you go into this tournament, and, and number one, really good luck. I think you you you've got a really good um, you got a good shot at, at uh, being number one. But the condition of your athletes is 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 vital because it, it seems like to me that just from a physical condition, no matter how good they are technically and what they can do, but if you go to uh, let's say five five uh, sets in a game. Uh, how important is it that the physical condition of your team is better than the other team, even though the other team may be a touch technically better than your team? In other words, is it better to be better physically conditioned for the last few, the last set? Uh, as you go through not only this tournament, but, you know, when you play back-to-back games? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You definitely, you know, we we feel like we win a lot of 5D matches because of Husker Power. And in a normal year, that's our preparation from January to August. Uh, So we feel like we always have an edge because our players work so hard and we have such a great strength coach, Brian Kamita. And uh, so we always feel like that's an edge for us if we get to the fifth game. So there's a, there definitely is a physical component to that. Um, but also, you, have, you know, the big thing we talk about is they got to trust your training. You know, are they going to do what they are trained to do? And, you know, the fifth game creates a little more stress because there's so much riding on that. And I think that's the mental part of it. And, of course, we, we work really hard at that, that aspect as well. So, um so I think both both go together, and you know this year we won a couple five gamers, and we we lost the fifteen thirteen, which was you know we don't usually do that, and so hopefully we've learned from that, and that'll well, if we get in the five gamer in the NCAA tournament here, we'll we'll have some experience to lean on in that in that match we lost to Ohio State. Bud, thanks so much, Coach. What difference does physical uh, stamina? Uh, make in a fifth game? If you're in better shape than the opposing team, is it worth a point? Is it worth a t- two points? Or it's tough to quantify. Yeah, it's tough, but, you know, you got to think about usually if you're in a fifth game, you're into two and a half to three hours now. And so, uh, like today, we, we practice. Some of our players went over three hours today in practice mm. because we've got to acclimate their bodies to be able to go five games. Now you risk, you know, tiring them out this time of year but like I said we had a break last week so but we have to train as long and as hard as, as if we were playing a match and and that's uh, um, you know something you got to be prepared to do and then you know in the Big Ten you got to do it back to back night night to night uh, you know on a Friday Saturday so and I think that's another thing on Bud's question is you know you get the NCAA tournament you got to play back to back and you, let's say you go two five gamers you better be in shape the second night hmm. It'll be especially necessary in this upcoming tournament because you're going to have to play, should the Huskers go to the regional final, three matches in five days. If any of the first-round teams, the teams that did not get a bye, make it to a regional final, four matches in six days. I mean, this is rigor that you, know, you don't normally see, uh, especially this time right. of year. How much, how, how, how much do you wish they had spaced it out just a little bit more? You know, uh... It would be nice. Uh, you know, it's going to favor the teams that are the more talented, 
more physical, have more depth than uh, teams that do not because it's hard to play that many matches at high level in that many days. So especially if you got to play the first round. So uh, it'll be interesting and see how that goes. But I think everybody's just, you know, fired up that at least we're going to have a tournament and we got a shot to play. And and uh, so I think everybody's looking forward to that. Now, now the, the, the venue and the, the atmosphere's not going to be anything until unless you get to the regional final, I believe. So really hardly any fans. And, you know, we're basically playing – I mean, there's no locker rooms, no bathrooms. You're just bring your bags out, dump them on the court, and play. So it's like a, like a club volleyball tournament, which can be interesting to see how some teams respond to that as well. Head coach John Cook and his number five seeded Huskers will face either Texas State 30 and eight or Utah Valley 14 and five on the 15th of April. That's the second round of the tournament. And then the regional semifinals will be the winner of Nebraska in that match and either Baylor or Pepperdine or University of Maryland, Baltimore County, a former NCAA tournament round one opponent of Nebraska in years past. Baylor has last year's national player of the year, Yosiana Presley on the team, outside hitter six feet. She is now a senior, still ticked off. They lost in the national semis a year ago. Coach, were you... uh, quite pleased with the brackets and sent a thank you note to the tournament selection committee <laughs> oh sure jb they they gave us a great draw and um yeah they made that the bracket really fair and you know they loaded up some all the big 10 teams on one side except for minnesota and so yeah they did a they, yeah we're real excited how, how do we get the purdue draw next year yeah. purdue's got oregon and either Kentucky or Washington State, probably Kentucky. I mean, there's, I mean to get to a nah, Final Four, you're going to play a great opponent. But my goodness, Oregon and Kentucky versus, you know, Baylor and Texas. Um, but how about Texas? I mean, I got to tell you, Jared Elliott, head coach at, at Texas, has had some reasons to complain in years past. Remember the year he had to go to Stanford to face Wisconsin. Dana Recchi's a, a freshman, I believe. And then he has to face Stanford, and they finally lose. They can't win both of those. And now this year he's got... It's Penn State and then Nebraska or Baylor. So it's not easy for any of those four top seeds in, in, no. the, in the Husker Regional. No, if you come out of our bracket, uh, you're going to earn it. <laughs> so it'll be, it'll be fun. It'll be very competitive. Probably be a lot of close games. And like I said, you're going to earn it. But isn't it fair that this is not a year to complain about the brackets because there's so many uncertainties uh, you know, so, you know, so many different. I mean, you got Texas State thirty and eight, Nebraska fourteen and two. I mean, just so many teams had such different experiences because of COVID. Right. I mean, like I said, I don't know how you do it fairly because without playing out, you know, other teams, it's really hard to to know where you stack up. So that's why non-conference is so important. But uh, you know, it's everybody goes. And, See how it goes and uh, do your best, and you're just happy to have an opportunity to play. But and, and how, then, about, how about Kentucky and uh, Louisville, two former Husker assistants up there in the top 16? I love it. You, you, Craig Skinner and, and Danny Busbum, Kentucky and Louisville's head coaches, both seated. Kentucky still trying to get to its first Final Four under Coach Skinner. I mean, he took over a program at Kentucky that was moribund. 
and they've been perennial now, top 15, but top 10 really the last six or seven years. But that one elusive step getting to the Final Four, so a big year for him this spring. Yeah, well, they got the draw and they got the team, so they got a great shot. And then Louisville, I mean, Danny, a year ago, back in the fall of 2019, upsets Texas in the regional semi, gets to the regional final, and on the doorstep of the final four in, what, her third year at, at Louisville. And uh, so she's uh, – what, what do you what – th- what's the secret sauce you think that Husker assistants under John Cook take with them to their new jobs? I don't know, JB. They – <laughs> they learn all the things not to do when they're at Nebraska. Like that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's you've you've, you've got uh, those two, and you've had so many others who've, who've gone off and 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 done well. Uh, and I'm just, you know, what 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 parting advice do you have for them, or is it just depend on on the individual, or is there something you like to share with them before they leave? No, I just think it's, you know, I try to hire talented people and they're talented people and talented coaches and they're going to be successful and figure it out a way. And I think they get in a good learning environment here. And like I said, learn what to do, what works, what doesn't work and, and then go from there. So it's pretty cool, you know, and then, you know, I look at Illinois who was in the final four a couple of years ago and dang, they were playing great at the end of the year. Um, uh, you know, they knocked off Purdue last match and, you know, could have beat them the first night, too. So uh, it's, you know, um, got a lot of good coaches out there and just happy they, you know, it's pretty cool that they're coming through Nebraska. If you'd like to chime in, the head coach is with us. This is your Nebraska Volleyball Show, 531-500-4686. With the regular season now over, Coach, and, and you're uh, about a week away or so from the April 15 uh, second-round match that you'll have against either Texas State or Utah Valley. Time for a little postmortem of the Big Ten 2021 spring schedule. Surprises that, that uh, jump out. Michigan State finishes in the cellar. At three and twelve, and Rutgers nowhere near the cellar at six and fourteen. Yeah, yeah. You were one of the first to say Rutgers is vastly improved because we played them really early, and at that point we thought Rutgers was still Rutgers. Six wins in the Big Ten, uh, they got something going there. Yeah, she'll have a chance to be coach of the year, her and the Ohio State coach. But I'm glad you remember I said. Rutgers is really is, is much improved and pretty good, and they were going to win matches in the Big Ten, and they certainly did. You did, because that was after the Huskers lost a set to Rutgers, and we're thinking, uh-oh. And yeah. you, you, were, you were fine. You thought the Husker performance was, 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 was completely satisfactory. Yeah, we, we got a close game with them, and they made a couple plays at the end to win it, and we were able to, to win the match, but... Uh, you know, everybody thought, oh, what, what the heck's going on with Nebraska? And I said, Rutgers is good. We had good players, really good setter, and freshman libero that played well. And, uh, you know, I think they're happy, and they got a, a good coach that's inspired them. So um, it's amazing how, mu- how much that impacts teams' performances. But, uh, you know, winning six from – I mean, that might be more than they've won in the last five years. Oh yeah, I mean, they Rutgers went like three years in a row with like one win total uh, yeah. in in the uh, Big Ten Conference. Yeah, it's been it's been pretty skimpy when it comes to victories over there. Meanwhile, uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota and Purdue, I think, have to be pretty pleased with their draw. Ohio State, 
has got to be a little ticked off. They had a remarkable breakout season, though. They did lose a couple late, finished 15-3, and and they've got to face Florida in the regional semi, and then they've got probably Wisconsin in the regional uh, final. But a heck of a year for Ohio State. Do you think they're likely a, a permanent member now of the upper echelon of the Big Ten? Well, they're, they're young. They started two freshmen, and they've always had talent. And now they've got a coach that's figured out uh, what, uh, you know, figure out how to get them to play well. And so, yes, they're going to be in the hunt. Uh, so you're telling me Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Nebraska are all in the same bracket, basically? Uh, Ohio State and Wisconsin are in one bracket. Penn State, Nebraska yeah. in a second bracket. Minnesota as Utah and then Louisville or Washington. And you know the Huskers swept Minnesota on a Sunday morning. Meanwhile, yeah. Purdue has Oregon and then Kentucky. I mean, Purdue has a legit shot at the Final Four. Yeah. I mean, they they got to beat Oregon and then probably Kentucky or Washington. Oh, Kentucky. So, you know, it's going to be probably Kentucky and Oregon, uh, excuse me, Kentucky and Purdue for a slot in the Final Four. I mean, Purdue is loving life right now. Yeah. Well, they, they, uh, they're good. And, you know, a lot of times everybody asks about the seeds, seeds this, complains about that. It's really about your draw and how you match, how you match up. Do you have ideas for how we can improve the draw and so that there are fewer questions every year? Um, my, my suggestion would be, one, they don't use the RPI, which they didn't, they didn't use this year because there really wasn't an RPI. There's a couple other tools they can use that are more accurate to take in home wins, home losses, you know, away wins. Uh, and then uh, potentially have some advisors on there you know there's some great retired coaches you know john dunning pettit uh <clears throat> that that could actually uh, you know use carts that could actually consult with them uh, that know volleyball and you know know how these you know they know by watching and and they could consult with them on you give them advice on what you know potential mistakes they can make or help them out you know how to seed it more accurately so those would be my two suggestions, which I've said several times, but here we are. Do you think how uh, the margin of loss should be considered? For example, Nebraska lost two deuce games to Minnesota, and Minnesota got a vastly preferable draw. Do you think that should be examined, or do you think a loss is a loss, and all losses should be treated equally? No, I think a loss should be determined and, and wins too, whether you're on the road or at home. And then the, you know, internationally they go by the scores and the points. So yes, I, I definitely think that because, um, you know, you get on the road and you lose a two pointer here, two pointer there. I mean, you're, you're one swing or one play away from winning it, and so that's how close it is. And that's where people former coaches could really provide some valuable input. Delighted to welcome on board the program, Matt Codney, who said a few weeks of downtime after the women's basketball season came to an end, probably pulling you away from a Cardinals game tonight. Any chance that's happening? Uh, well, you're not pulling me away. It's not in front of me. It's 3-2 Cardinals, bottom <laughs> of seven. Uh, <laughs> Nolan Arenado had a great at-bat to 
really get the Cardinals going on a three-run inning. So you're not really pulling me away from it, Greg. I also have a stop button on my Roku stick, so I'm good here. All right. I had a feeling that the Cardinal game was probably not too far away uh, from you and your love for the for the Redbirds. Uh, hey, how about that Final Four for the women? That, that was an incredible basketball, both the semifinals and the championship game. I bet you enjoyed that. I really did. And, you know, uh, Greg, I, I vote on several national boards. And, you know, I had Tara Vanderveer before the Final Four as my national coach of the year because of the job she did, uh, one, Stanford had to be on the road most of the season because of the COVID restrictions in Santa Clara County and two passing Padhead Summit for the all-time career wins. But she really changed the way she approaches uh, her team. You know, she hadn't won a a national championship in 29 years, and they're more of a three-point shooting team. And then you take a look at Arizona and Ari McDonald, who a lot of people around the country who follow women's basketball still weren't exactly sure how good she was because – you know, they play in the Pac-12, and they're playing late, you know, in some of these games. So uh, I just thought that you know, there was, a, you know, even before the Final Four, the UConn-Baylor game felt like a Final Four game. I just thought it was great in the ratings. You know, 4.1 million people on Easter Sunday evening on ESPN. It was, a, you know, just a titanic viewership rating. So really, uh, really, especially in COVID times, Greg, I think this was just a spectacular NCAA tournament for women's basketball. Yeah, some of those end game were just phenomenal. The you know the one that didn't go in that, that allowed Stanford to get to the finals, and then the end of the Arizona Stanford game. They're just classic stuff and really good for the sport. Well, let's bring it back to the Huskers. Uh, the, the announcement over the weekend that Kate Kane is done. She's going to go try to make some money playing basketball, and good for her. Um, was that a surprise, or were you expecting that? Not really a surprise, I think. You know, Kate is somebody who, you know, already had her degree heading into the season, very uh, academically strong individual. You know, I would ask myself, if I were Kate Keene, what can I do to improve my professional status by staying another year? And the answer is not much. Her game is what it is. You know, she's a six foot five, low post, shot blocking center. And, you know, she's not really going to improve out to 17 feet. Uh, You know, she's not going to really change her game. And, you know, I think it's a great move by Kate Kane. In women's basketball, most of the money is made in Europe. You know, the, the Huskers have had a lot of players. You know, Danielle Page became a star in the European leagues and, and parlayed that into an Olympic medal. Kelsey Griffin did the same thing playing in Hungary, and then later, you know, she, she took her game to Australia. So I really think, you know, people start talking about the WNBA, and certainly that's there for Kate. I think she's probably a high second-round draft pick for the WNBA. But I think she could have a great pro career in the Euro leagues, and I don't think sticking around another year would have really enhanced that for her. How will you remember her as a player here? Uh, a difference maker, uh, the person who defensively is at the top of every player's scouting report. You know, she really gave Amy Williams a chance in her second year. Uh, Kate became available when Delaware had a head coaching change in April, and so Amy was able to get Kate Kane, and then, you know, as a freshman, they were able to, you know, make make the NCAA tournament. You know, she was someone who every team had a hard time with. I will also remember Kate Kane very selfishly as somebody who sat behind me on airplanes a lot. We had such great conversations. 
Uh, I just think she was a very mature player, made everybody around her better. But there is nobody who is going to come close to that block shots record as a career or uh, in single season. I really thought when Danielle Page was here that there was never a better shot blocker. And Kate Kane changed my mind about that. So I'll I'll probably remember the, the, the block shots first, but then I'll remember her as a person, a great teammate, and a leader. Again, busy with Matt Cotney here on Sports On and the Husker Sports Network. We're putting a bow on the end of the Husker season from a couple of weeks ago in the WNIT and Kate Kane's decision to not come back, not take advantage of the free year that the NCAA has offered up for everybody. Okay, so you take her off the roster, pretty much everybody else is back, at least as for right now, correct? Uh, right now, yeah. And, you know, I think the Huskers also will get Naila Dillard back. Uh, hopefully she had to set out the year after transferring from Texas Tech with a hip injury. You know, the Huskers are loaded at the post position. If Kate Kane would have came back, I think they would have been too loaded, if you will. I'm so excited to see what Alexis Markowski can do. Uh, I think she has a chance to come in and play immediately as a freshman. You know, I've said uh, many times that in this league, if you want to to win the league, you're going to have to beat Maryland. And to beat Maryland, you're going to have to rebound. Well, Alexis Markowski can rebound. And then you take a look at Izzy Bourne coming back. Uh, and then Bella Cravens just emerged this year as a rebounding freak. Tatiana Popa comes in as a as a big six foot three setter whose dad played in the NBA. So the Huskers have a lot of size. And then you take a look at Allison Widener, you know, coming in potentially as a point guard position after her great high school career at Humphrey St. Francis. We saw Kendall Coley as an early enrolling freshman. That's going to do nothing but make her jump started into her career. And then don't forget about Kendall uh, Moriarty out of uh, the Chicago area, a defensive specialist who I think one of the things Nebraska did miss this year was Nicaea Liley's defense on the wing. And I think Kendall Moriarty has a chance to really give Nebraska that good wing defender, try and take away perimeter players like Caitlin Clark over at Iowa. So, uh, you know, with this transfer portal thing, though, Greg, all bets are off. Right now there's right. 800 players Gee. in the transfer portal. That's that's the equivalent of 80 full teams. So who knows what this is going to look like when we get to October. But all sides point to, you know, the Huskers having just about everybody back then. Right, so you've got experience, you've certainly got talent, and you've got some incoming players who certainly can to bolster this up. I, I got to believe, and then they were on the the cusp of that this year. That this this should be a team that points to get in, in the NCAA tournament next March. Am I am I off on that? No, I mean when you have a senior leader like Sam Ivey, when you have Izzy Borden coming back who emerged as a star this year, when you have Kendall uh, Coley who had a chance to to play, you know, some playing time as an early enrollee freshman and everybody gets their year back. I say Sam Hybe is a senior. Really, she'll still be a junior in eligibility. I mean, it's a deep team. It answers all the check marks. They were a great defensive team this year where they need to improve is offensively, and they've got players coming in to help with that. Uh, I I absolutely would say in in the Big Ten, if you're a top-eight team, in the Big Ten, you have a better chance than not than being in the NCAA tournament, and there's no way Nebraska wouldn't be picked in uh, the top seven next year, certainly. Um, do you think the coaches are operating that it's going to be back to normal next year and, and the full non-conference schedule? Do you think that's the, the – are they working under that impression right now? 
everybody is is consciously optimistic that that's where they're going. They have to approach it that way. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think everybody around the country is realistic that, you know, every time you think something's going to happen, something crazy happens. But right now, I think everybody is cautiously optimistic that uh, everybody's going to play a full non-conference schedule, stands in the stands, or at least what your, you know, local health departments would have. Um, you know, look, today I heard the California governor is going to get rid of all restrictions in, in June, and they were one of the most locked down. So uh, from what I've heard, everybody is operating cautiously but optimistic that things will be back to a normal schedule in the fall. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Well, I'm going to I had Kent on a few weeks ago and and he said one of the biggest things he missed this year was just being around the team. I got to think that's the same thing for you, just not being around the coaches and, you know, sharing a cup of coffee with them in a road game or something like that. I bet that, I bet that was hard. It was unbelievably hard. Greg, you know, my first year broadcasting Division 1 women's basketball was at Missouri State in 1985. And I still am very close with a lot of players off that team. There's seven players on this Nebraska team I've never met, okay? I don't know, you know, they don't know me personally. And I think, and and you can speak to this as much as anybody, when you're the play-by-play voice of a Power 5 conference team, the fans expect you to have that heartbeat of the team. And you get that not through watching them play on games. You get that at the team meal, on the bus, you know, sitting, you know, in the airplane hangar during a flight delay, just joking around, watching practice, all that stuff. And I got zero of that this year. Uh, you know, I was able to call the games, and, and, you know, I would do it the same way this year. We, we stayed very safe. I was 100% behind that. But that was huge. The other thing, you know, is just being able to talk to the opposing coaches, you know, I hated it when we played Northwestern. Didn't get a chance to talk to Joe McEwen, who's one of my best friends in the league, or being able to talk to an assistant coach on a team. You know, I know Melissa Means, the director of operation at Minnesota, is a dear friend of mine. And then the officials. I mean, it's not like I'm trying to, you know, get a rules interpretation or anything, but I do like talking to the officials before the games. And um, I missed all that. It, It just wasn't the same. You know, we were able to present the games, but I agree with KP completely. It just was so different. Can't get, can't, can't wait to get back to where, you know, you you can fist bump a player when they get on the bus or on the airplane, or you can just, you know, make fun of somebody or just kind of get the pulse of the team. Yeah, I, that's that's exactly it. And when, when you're not around them, you don't pick up little things that add a little yeah. spice to your, your broadcast. And it's what makes all of our broadcasts here at the network so special. And uh, I know you guys battled your way through. You did a great job. Uh, but let's hope everything's back to normal for everybody starting in the fall. Coke, great to catch up with you. Any update on the Cardinals? Are they still 3-2? What, what do we got? It's 3-2 Cardinals are in the top of the eighth. Uh, Matt Carpenter has actually hit the ball to the left side. Of course, he hit a foul ball. Um, But it's top of the eighth. Cardinals have a runner on first, 3-2 leading the Marlins. (laughs) Good stuff. Coe, we appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Hey, stay safe. Good talking to you, Sharpie. That's going to put a wrap on tonight's show. My thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Mick, and all of you for listening to this one tonight. Back with a full three-hour show coming your way tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your evening. We'll talk again tomorrow night. Good night.